At the beginning of Luke's gospel, we read Luke's account of the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ. And, and what we find is that uh, Luke concludes his rather brief account of the resurrection with Peter running to the tomb. He looks inside, he doesn't see anything, and he goes away from the tomb, according to Luke, uh, wondering to himself exactly what had happened. But then Luke has this account, uh, beginning in Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. He says, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. This event occurs on the Sunday, same day as the resurrection, and two followers of Jesus are leaving Jerusalem, and they are going the seven-mile journey to Emmaus, a little village northwest of Jerusalem. We don't know exactly who they were. Later on, we'll find out that one of them's name was Cleopas. Uh, we don't really know who the other one was, but we kind of know that he wasn't one of the 11 disciples. But during their walk, they're talking about everything that happened. And you would think, well, if they're talking about everything that happened on the day of the resurrection, then surely they are talking about the great events of that particular day, how Jesus is risen and that, how joyful they are and how excited they are. But the first clue that maybe that's not the case is when Luke tells us that Jesus himself comes up and starts walking along beside them and they don't even recognize him. Actually, the scripture says that they were kept from recognizing him. And we don't know if they were kept from recognizing him because of the nature of their discussions or if maybe God simply had not chosen that particular time to make Jesus known to them. But either way, they didn't recognize him. But Jesus plays along in verse 17. It says, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. These men were terribly discouraged. In fact, the scripture tells us they were so discouraged that, that they didn't even look up when they responded to Jesus' question. In fact, they were amazed that, that someone who had been in Jerusalem during these last days had some way missed an arrest, a trial, a crucifixion. They just couldn't believe it. And when Jesus says, well, what things are you talking about? They say, are you the only one? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who didn't realize what was going on? And then they proceed to tell Jesus why they were discouraged, still not knowing who he was. 
They said that they had followed this man named Jesus. They, they were hoping that he was the one. They were hoping that he was the one who was going to come make their life better, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, that he was the one who was going to come and, and free Israel from the Roman domination. But that they believed until he was crucified. And what made matters worse, he was crucified by the very people that they had hoped he would come and overthrow. And it appeared to them that not only had he maybe failed in that mission, but he had pretty much kind of just given up without a fight. And that was three days ago. And sure, there had been some women that went to the tomb, but, but you know how the testimony of women is. They, 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 Jesus knows what they're talking about. In their culture, the testimony of women didn't count. And they said, well, but then some of our guys went and they looked in, but they didn't find Jesus alive or dead. So we didn't stick around. We didn't stick around to see what was going to happen. We just left. We just left. We're going, we're going back to Emmaus. What happens is these men exhibited some of the same things that we go through when we go through a time where we're discouraged. Uh, they had lost their spiritual energy. They had lost their perspective. And what they were really doing is they were focusing on the negative. You know, Christians are not immune when it comes to times of discouragement. We're not immune. We, we all go through times of discouragement to some degree. Now, I had made a statement earlier in the week that 99% that of Christians will tell you that they have had times of discouragement in their lives to one degree or the other. 99% will tell you that. And the other 1% is lying to you. We've all gone through times of discouragement. And the fact that we are believers in Jesus Christ does not make us immune from the possibility that we might have a time in our life when we become discouraged. Now, some people won't admit it. Some Christians won't admit it because they think that makes them sound less spiritual to others. Some won't admit it because they think, well, we'll be viewed as a failure by others or we'll be judged a failure by our fellow believers. Or some won't admit it because they feel guilty inside that, that look, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I really shouldn't be feeling these types of things. But it all comes to us. In fact, Maybe you're at that point right now. I mean, maybe you're going through a time in your life where you're very discouraged. Someone you trusted has betrayed you. The marriage that you thought would last forever is headed toward divorce. Mr. Right turned out to be Mr. Wrong. The promotion that you had worked so hard for at your job is going to someone else. Your children that you worked so hard to, to raise the right way have gone another direction. And your closest friends have let you down. And here's what's happened to you. Because when you finally found someone in your life that you thought you could trust, you were excited about that. Finally, someone I can share my life with. When you got married, you were excited. This is going to last forever. The honeymoon's never going to end. When you met Mr. Wright, you were excited because I've been looking for Mr. Wright all my life. When you thought you were going to get a promotion, you were excited because you thought, finally, maybe I'll have some financial stability. When you had your children, you were excited and you dreamed about what kind of future they would have. 
But in each case, the excitement has been replaced by a feeling of discouragement. In fact, maybe you're even wondering if, if God cares at all. And maybe you're even wondering if this faith that you have claimed to believe is even real. But here's what you need to know. That in your times of discouragement, Jesus is walking beside you all the time, even though you may not see him yet. Now, you might not see him because your vision and your judgment is clouded because of your disappointment. Or maybe you don't quite see him yet because he's just not picked that particular time to reveal himself and his will to you. But you can rest assured, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what you are going through in your life, Jesus is walking right there beside you, whether you realize it or not. You can be assured of that. Now, Jesus responds to these discouraged men. Now, wouldn't you think, or at least I would, that they had told him all these things, and he realizes they don't know he's Jesus. When you think at this point, he'd go, hey, look, guys, it's me. Ta-da, I'm here. Wouldn't you think that's what he would do? Like I said, I would, but that's not what he does. We read in verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus shows an incredible amount of restraint. He shows an incredible amount of patience. He listened to their complaints. He understands their discouragement. But he doesn't make fun of them. He doesn't ridicule them. He doesn't beat them down because of their discouragement. But he also doesn't shy away from the truth. Because he says to them how foolish you are. Meaning, look, your expectations were based on a false understanding of Scripture. He doesn't hide that fact. And so what he does is he takes them through the Scriptures. He starts with Moses, and he, he takes them through the prophets. And he explains to them all of the prophecies concerning Messiah. And what he does also is he, he shows them the consistency of God's message about Messiah from the beginning to the end. And he explains to them how God's plan differs from their expectations. Now, they could have kept discussing these things forever, but not understood them. Had Jesus not taken time to explain them, because they were basing everything on a false understanding. So you can talk forever using a false premise or a false understanding, and you'll never get to the truth. But what happens is Jesus gives them a fresh understanding using the word of God. Now, sometimes our disappointments or our discouragement is, is the result of false expectations. I mean, we thought when we accepted Jesus, our problems were over. Or, or we thought that when we accepted Jesus, everything would always work out. 
I mean, isn't that what, what this salvation thing is about? Isn't that why the preacher stands up there and talks about salvation through Jesus Christ? Isn't that why my Christian friends talk about it? Isn't that so I can live an easy life once I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior? That's a false understanding. And it's at those times we need to go to God's Word and really see what Jesus says. And really see what God's message is to us. I'll give an example. For those of us who think, well, when we come to Jesus, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we think that all our problems, all our troubles are over. Well, if you go to Scripture, Jesus himself says to his followers, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus himself says that. Now, while Jesus doesn't promise us that we will live a life free from trouble, what he promises us is that he will always be with us in trouble. And the fact that he is with us means that he will always give us what we need. Everything will be sufficient for us in those times of trouble. That's what scripture teaches and we need to go to God's word and we need to realize all of the, 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 the fact that, that Jesus, even though we're not promised an easy life, he promises to be with us. We have scars of the past, things that we have lived through and, and, and it's just proof to us that life is not easy. But what happens is we realize when we read scripture that we can be forgiven of our sin. And we can be healed from the scars and the wounds of our past. And what we find is that death will come to all of us. We will all one day, unless Jesus comes again, we will all, all one day physically die. But what Jesus promises us is that death is not the end. We are all going to mourn the loss of someone that we love. But for believers... It's not without hope because we understand that this life is not the end and that he's prepared a place for us in heaven. And even though there are times when the world seems to have the upper hand on us, we know the promise of Scripture that regardless of what's going on, God is always in control. He's the creator of the universe, but he's also the sustainer of the universe. Verse 28 says, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Do you notice Jesus doesn't force his, his way into their lives? Jesus is, is going along. He's walking by them. He's explaining them very patiently the scriptures to help their understanding. But there comes a point where Jesus is going to continue walking. They've reached their destination, but Jesus is going to continue further. He doesn't force himself on them. They're the ones who invite Jesus, very strongly, the scripture says, to come and, and spend time with them. They say it's almost the end of the day. Uh, come and stay with us. Now, what might have happened had they not chosen to do that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, they would have had discussions and discussions and discussions from a false understanding. Or maybe they would never have understood the resurrection. Maybe they would never have had an intimate uh, talk with Christ that they knew of. Obviously, they did when he was walking with them, but they weren't aware of it. Maybe they would never have believed 
But Jesus comes and walks alongside of us. But he will not force his way into our lives. He'll speak to us through his word. He'll speak to us through other believers. He will speak to us by his spirit. But he will never force his way into our lives. He is waiting for us to invite him to come into our lives. And we find out from the scripture, they said, please stay with us. And what was his response? He did. He stayed with them. Jesus doesn't barge in. He waits to be received by us. And he waits for us to invite us into our hearts, into our lives. To know the difference that a relationship with him brings that we would not have found any other way. Verse 30 says, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? And open the scriptures to us. Breaking bread here refers to a regular meal. It's not talking about the Lord's Supper that we celebrate. Jesus is having a regular meal with them. And we wonder what was it about the breaking of bread that caused them to recognize him? Did they see nail prints in his hands as he broke the bread? Or or was there something about his prayer that that they recognized him or his, his voice? Or or did God simply choose that was the particular moment that he wanted to open their eyes to who Jesus really was? We, we, We just don't know. But here's one thing we do notice, that Jesus revealed himself during a common meal. And that's how it often works. Jesus comes to us in the ordinary. And we have to learn to look for Jesus in the ordinary things of life. When life is difficult, we look for the dramatic we, we look for, for God to just come barging in and, and to take care of whatever's going on in our lives in a, in a very dramatic way. But here with Jesus, here's the great example that Jesus came to them in something very simple and very ordinary. And that's where they recognized him, in the simple and in, and in the ordinary. And sometimes in our moments of greatest discouragement, God comes to us in simple ways. One of my favorite examples to use at a cemetery uh, following a funeral in the winter time especially on a day when there's no snow and it's overcast and you know how West Virginia is in the winter when there's no snow and it's overcast everything looks gray and everything looks dreary and I tell people that when, when we come to the cemetery, we who are believers are coming to a place that the world associates with death, but we're associating it with life. And even though we read the scriptures about the dead being raised and we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, we, we read that and we believe it, but we really don't understand it. And, and so we dig and we dig and we dig and we dig, but God gives us these wonderful, simple examples in nature that we miss if we're not looking for and what i tell people at the cemeteries i said look around you and you see these gray barren trees and these dreary skies but i tell you i know i'm going to come back here in a couple of months and i'm going to look and there's going to be a red kind of hue on the trees 
And then a few weeks later, I'm going to come back, and there's going to be a hint of green on those trees. And then a, a month or so later, I'm going to come back to this place, and the trees are all going to be green, and the flowers are going to be blooming. I don't know how that happens. I can't explain it, but I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that every year it's going to happen. And even though I may not understand all the depths of Scripture, and even though I may not understand about the new body and the resurrection of the dead, God shows me in a very simple application of the seasons and of nature of what he's up to. And I figure if God can do that in nature, and if it's as sure as I'm breathing and standing here today, then I believe that he can do that for me when I come to the end of my journey on this earth. Warren Wearsby has said that the best evidence that we have understood the Bible and met the living Christ is that we have something exciting to share with others. Verse 33 and through 35, after Jesus had revealed himself to them and they had recognized him, it says, and he, well, he disappeared, and it says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them. When he broke the bread. They returned to Jerusalem. Don't you know that this trip back to Jerusalem. Took a lot less time than the trip from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Just a few hours earlier. Their despair was replaced by joy. And they come to a room that earlier had been just burdened down with sadness and, and fear. And they come into a room with other believers who are joyful as well. And they get to share in this celebration. What made the difference? The difference was an encounter with the risen Christ. The people in that room back in Jerusalem had an encounter. These men that were in Emmaus had had an encounter with the risen Christ. And because of their encounter, they had something they wanted to share. Now, the resurrection is real. They realized it. The resurrection is real. Eyewitnesses had seen the risen Christ. Eyewitnesses talked with him. They ate with him. They walked with him. They learned from him. Thomas put his fingers in Jesus' wounds. Jesus was physically and bodily raised from the dead. And it's not just a fact of our faith. It's a historical fact with evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. But what they were celebrating was not so much a historical fact as what it really meant for them. That they had hope. That their despair, that their discouragement had just in an instant been turned to joy by the power of the risen Christ. Because the risen Christ is God's answer to discouragement. The risen Christ is God's answer to discouragement. Because the resurrection shouts for us that our Savior has defeated our worst enemy, death. And if he has done that, he has the power to help you. If he can defeat death, he can defeat your discouragement in your life. We find that he is patient, that he knows the best way to help us, that he will not give up on us, even though we have given up on ourselves, or maybe even him. 
And God has purpose. God has a purpose for us. And this purpose will help us to grow into what God wants us to be. But knowing that God has a purpose for us and knowing the power of the resurrection helps us to realize that God's purpose for us will not be thwarted. It will not because of the power of the resurrection. Now, if you knew for certain that in certain circumstances of life you would not be overcome, if you knew when you faced a time that could be discouraging, if you knew for a certainty that that situation would not overcome you, would it change the way you live? Would it change your attitude? Well, of course it would. But here's the good news. Because of the resurrection, as a child of God, you can know that. You can know for a fact that nothing that will come at you in life, nothing that will come at you at death, can defeat you because of the power of the resurrected Christ. And because of that, we can know in our lives here and in our lives in heaven, we can know victory instead of defeat. And we can know joy instead of sorrow. Because Jesus lives, we will live also. So today is the day of decision. A day is a day of decision for all of us. And, and his message comes to us. And, and the question is, has it burned in your heart today? Has anything from God's word today burned in your heart? You didn't know quite what it was, but now you do. It's the message of hope. It's the message of victory. It's the message of promise that is made possible only through an encounter with a risen Christ. If you are a believer today, you have that promise in you. You are a child of God. If you're not a believer, he offers it to you. He won't barge in, but he offers it, and it's free, and you can have it as well. How you respond today is up to you. Let's pray.